We'll take our text this morning from a portion of the Scripture reading. Look at 1 Corinthians. We'll read verses 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Probably all at times been asked to do something or been tasked with a job that we felt was maybe too big for us. Maybe we felt unqualified. Maybe the Lord has asked us at times to do something and we can offer him all kinds of excuses. We're not qualified enough, not capable, not strong enough, not well-spoken enough, not outgoing enough, not spiritual enough, not talented enough. The list could go on and on might be just the person the Lord's looking for, if that's how you feel. The Lord explains why this is the case. He says that no flesh should glory in his presence, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You know, the Lord won't share his glory with another, so he chooses the weak things, the foolish things. Somebody said something several years ago, and it's always stayed with me. They said, the Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Thankful for that. You know, the Lord, all through Scripture, uses weak instruments. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, we see God having a conversation with Moses. And he asked Moses, what is in thine hand? And of course, Moses responded, a rod. You know, it was just an old stick of wood used as a shepherd's staff. No life of its own. But God told Moses, put that, throw that rod on the ground, and we know the account. It turned into a serpent. And then the Lord said, pick it up. So he grabbed it by the tail, and immediately it turned back into a rod. But God was proving some things here to Moses, letting him know his power was unlimited. We see later that rod being used as a rod of judgment. We know the Word of God says that as they uh, were getting ready to be led out of the promised land. God told Moses to stretch forth thy rod over the land. And as he did that, the plagues fell upon the land of Egypt. Later we see that rod become a rod of deliverance. Exodus 14, 16. As he crossed over on dry ground through the Red Sea and the Lord uh, told Moses to stretch that rod across the sea. And as he did that, they walked over on dry ground. And as they got to the other side, the Lord told him to stretch forth that rod again over the sea. And we know the waters came back together and drowned the Egyptian army there in the midst of the Red Sea. We see that rod later in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6, becoming a rod of supply. See where God commanded Moses to strike the rock and horror with that rod. And as he did that, water flowed out of it and the people had fresh water to drink. 
God used an old dead stick of wood to help accomplish mighty miracles. What's in your hand? It's a question he asked Moses. Maybe that's a question the Lord is asking today. What's in your hand? What's available for the Lord to use? You know, we don't ever want to underestimate the power of small things. We think of September 11th as that horrific day in 2001 when we know the trade centers were attacked and they used those great big jetliners to bring down those towers. It was an awful day, one that will many of us will remember the rest of our lives. But there was another 9-11 that occurred in New York City six years prior to that time in 1995. During that event, a major power grid had gone down in the city and 47,000 commuters were completely stranded in New York for many hours. Power was shut down everywhere. Well, it wasn't a cyber attack. It wasn't a terrorist attack. It was a squirrel attack. There was a squirrel that apparently had been jumping on a particular power line that was located close to the power grid and by uh, repeatedly jumping it knocked a bracket loose and a wire fell across a track. Not a big deal, it didn't electrify the track, but a commuter train happened to be passing by and it grabbed that wire, ripped all the other wires out, took out the transformer, so a squirrel caused a power outage in New York for several hours. We learned again in 2009 that a 12-pound Canadian goose can bring down a jetliner. Remember that account? I think they even wrote a book about it later, A Miracle on the Hudson. Captain, I think his name was Soli, Soli something or another, but he was a national hero anyway. I shouldn't remember his name. But he performed an almost perfect emergency landing there on the Hudson River and Probably we can still picture the images in our mind of that plane sitting there in the middle of the Hudson River with those people getting out on the wings and not one single loss of life. Found out, though, it was caused by a goose who had gotten sucked up in that engine and caused engine failure, had to make an emergency landing. A 12-pound goose brought down a 48-ton jetliner. So a squirrel can cause a power outage. A goose can bring down a jetliner. You know, the Word of God tells us the Lord used one smooth stone to bring down a giant. We know the account well. And we know God used a simple shepherd boy, pretty much uh, relatively obscure up to this point, was out tending his father's sheep, but the Lord used... David, but used a a smooth, small stone to bring down a giant. You know, uh, David's success wasn't in the accuracy of his aim or how good he was with a sling. No, he said, you told that giant, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He knew his strength was in the Lord. He, he, He knew if he depended on his own strength, he would have been destroyed, but he had complete reliance and dependence on the Lord. He also went on to say that this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's. So we don't want to underestimate the power of small things. Read the account of Samson who slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Account in 1 Kings chapter 17 of Elijah 
And the widow of Zarephath, we know, uh, we read that account, it was a terrible time for the nation of Judah. God had cursed the land because of the sin of King Ahab. And as Elijah there was by that brook and the Lord was providing water and bread by those ravens, when that dried up, the Lord said, go down there to Zarephath. I've already, uh, I've already appointed a widow down there to take care of you and sustain you during this famine. Certainly picked the least of these to help sustain Elijah, when he got there, we know the account. She was in bad a shape as anybody else. She said, uh, she told him, I'm, I'm gathering a few sticks, and I'm going to make a little fire, and I'm going to make a little cake for me and my son, and then we're going to eat it and die. She was down to the very last thing she had. Surely God wouldn't ask for the very last thing we have. But we read, Elijah said, Give me first. In other words, he was saying, Give to the Lord first. He says, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. What's in your hand? Just a small little uh, bit of oil and flour. Yet we know God took that simple offering. It wasn't a simple offering, but that small offering, and he multiplied it. He used that handful of flour and that little bit of oil to sustain the widow and her son and Elijah throughout that whole famine. You know, God doesn't grade what we give Him on our on the quantity, but on the quality of how we give to the Lord. John chapter 6, we read the account of the five barley loaves and two small fish. The Lord used a small, a small boy with a sack lunch to feed a multitude. You know, that boy wasn't out to make history that day. He was just out probably to hear what Jesus had to say. But a need arose... And I love how, uh, well, you look at the disciples' response. What is that among so many? What good's that little bit going to do? Well, we know what little bit that, what good that little bit did. That young boy gave to the Lord willingly. You know, they didn't have to pry that lunch out of his hands. He willingly gave it. And it says the Lord blessed it and break it. And the multitude was fed. And there were 12 baskets left over. You know, as I read that account, I wonder why were there 12 baskets left over? I thought maybe it was one basket for each of those 12 disciples as proof that the Lord could take something so small and bless it and multiply it. Of course, you'll always have those naysayers. What's that among so many? There may have been those that even said, there may be some that don't like barley loaves or fish. We don't know. Maybe it should have been a steak. I know who knows what people were thinking. But the Lord took that small little offering and he broke it and he blessed it and a multitude was fed that day. You know, what lesson can we learn from these accounts? Well, we see God can use the smallest, weakest instruments placed in consecrated hands to accomplish great victories. These victories or these, excuse me, these instruments, these objects, they didn't possess any will of their own. They were wholly and fully available at the disposal of those using them. And it was what was available and close by at the time. You know, it's been said too, God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Again, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He's looking for lives that will just be consecrated to the Lord and available when he wants to use them. God uses weak people. Moses, probably the greatest, one of the greatest leaders 
this world has ever seen. One commentary described him as a runaway fugitive with a stammering tongue. But the Lord used him mightily to lead his people out of bondage. Think about Jonah. We often heard him referred to as the reluctant missionary. Not only that, he had a prejudice against the very ones that God had sent him to minister to. Of course, you know the Ninevites were a brutal people. They had terrorized the children of Israel, but these were the ones God told Jonah to go down and witness to. Of course, Jonah had other ideas. You know, I thought about what Brother Chet said last Friday night, I believe it was. He said, why would it take Jonah three days in the belly of the well to realize, oops, I did something wrong here. Most of us would probably take about three seconds, but Jonah was too stubborn. He was still too big in his eyes. The Lord had to reduce him down to fish bait, I guess, for him to finally humble himself. But once he did, and he was willing to submit himself to the Lord. The Lord used him mightily. He went and he preached to that city, and the entire city had repented, and they were saved. Again, think of King David. You know, when Samuel came there to anoint a new king after God had rejected Saul, went down to the house of Jesse. You know, David wasn't even considered at that time. Jesse brought all of his sons out, beginning with the oldest to the next to the youngest, and not one of them met God's criteria. Finally, Samuel said, don't you have any other sons? Oh, there's David out there tending the sheep. They called him in, and guess what? That was the one God had chose. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. He saw something in David that he could use. You know, God uses small numbers. God doesn't need great big numbers to do mighty things. You think about Gideon's army of 300 men. It took on 120,000 enemy troops. Why did the Lord do this? It said, so Israel wouldn't vaunt themselves or become lifted up, but that they would know that God had given them the victory. Jonathan and his armor bearer defeated a whole garrison of the Philistines. And I love those words there. Uh, said, the Lord can save by many or by few. God doesn't need big numbers and strong people. He just needs willing people that are willing to commit and, and submit and consecrate their lives to the Lord. Think about the 12 disciples. Fishermen, tax collectors, there was even a zealot in the group. Just common everyday people. But the Lord used those 12 disciples to change the course of history. Think about the three Hebrew children. Again, uh, in a heathen land, you might think, well, what are they among so many? But we know God used three Hebrew children who refused to bow to the king's idol. They chose to honor God. Talk about being in the minority, but what, what did God do with that? We know the Lord changed the mind of a heathen king and he changed the course of the nation that day because of three men just binding together, willing to honor the Lord. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20 says, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. The Word of God also tells us where two or three are gathered together, the Lord is there in the midst of those. Aren't you thankful God doesn't need big numbers? He doesn't need uh, strong people. We know God's strength is made perfect in weakness. The Word of God tells us that. Apostle Paul, we read about him. 
said he was given an abundance of revelations, that God had done some mighty things for Paul. But we also know it says he was given a, a, a thorn in the flesh. Why? It says, so he wouldn't be exalted above measure. But the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul was able to say from that point on, when I am weak, then I am strong. He found that his strength was in the Lord. He said, I'd rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ could rest on me. Well, you see, the Lord had to make him weak in order to make him strong. God uses small things, weak things. He uses weak people. You know, the question isn't, am I strong enough for God to use me? Maybe people should be asking, am I weak enough for God to use me? Am I little enough for God to use me? Someone once said, God creates from nothing, so until we become nothing, He can do nothing with us. You know, the danger isn't in trying to do what others are doing. The danger is in not doing what God asks us to do. But we know God's callings are His enablings. Someone also once said, beware of your strength. Matter of fact, I remember Brother Dwight said one time years ago, he says, often our own abilities may do more to get in the way than anything else. But the Bible tells us, it says, let him that think he standeth take heed lest he fall. So again, we want to recognize our own weaknesses and we depend on the Lord to give us strength. How do we become weak? Well, the Word of God tells us we need to humble ourselves. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. But you know when we do that, the Bible says the Lord will do four things for us. It says He will lift us up, give us grace, and He will exalt us, and He'll hear our cry. Sounds wonderful to me, but we have to humble ourselves in order for the Lord to work for us. We have to think small. And I'm not talking in terms of what the Lord can do. We know God can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we don't want to limit God and His ability to work. But we need to recognize our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and we need to give those things to the Lord. For Samuel 15:17, we know Saul was rejected as king. But this is what Samuel told him. He said, when thou was little... In thine own sight, the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Started out so small, but you know, it's been said, a man can be too big for God, but he can never be too small. So we want to remember that. I remember the story of a young evangelist one time who was beginning to enjoy some success in his ministry. And as he would go to different areas of the country, the crowds would get bigger and bigger and he was getting a pretty good response, and he started to think, you know, uh, maybe I do have a gift. Maybe I am special. And he began to read and pray less and less and just depend on his own strength. Well, one day he was in a city, and it was the largest crowd yet. And it was overflow seating. The anticipation was high, and as he stepped up to the pulpit, the Lord told him, okay, now you're on your own. <laughs> Of course, we don't want to be on our own. He got too lifted up. He depended on his own strength. But we want to lean on God's strength. You know, it's faithfulness in the small things that matter. The definition for integrity is faithfulness in the small things. Maybe those things that we 
feel don't make any difference. Well, the Lord tells us, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. You know, it's easy to assume that small things don't make a big difference. Well, I'll tell you, small things can make a huge difference. Small miscalculations, small errors in judgment, small compromises, those things can have a huge, huge impact later down the road. I was thinking of an account. It says, the Mariner 1, this was a rocket, was launched on July 22nd, 1962. It was intended to do an unmanned flyby over Venus to collect scientific data, but an error in the computer codes caused it to veer off course. This was NASA's first planetary mission, and it was losing to Russia in the already contentious space race. As it turns out, a misplaced hyphen seems to have caused the rocket's trajectory to be off. A NASA range safety officer wanted to avoid any possible crashes back down to Earth, so 293 seconds into the launch, he blew it up. The coding blunder cost NASA $80 million. That was in 1962. In today's money, that's over $673 million. Uh, it's just taxpayers' money, I guess. But anyway, it says there were conflicting reports, some of which blamed a misplaced decimal, and others saying a hyphen caused the error in trajectory. One man once said that was the most expensive hyphen in history. Just one little error, one little misstep, and it caused the whole trajectory of that rocket to get off. You know, as we begin to, if, if a person begins to compromise, even a little bit of compromise, you know what? It could cause them to get off their trajectory. It could cause major problems down the road. The Bible warns about just a little root of bitterness that would spring up. But it says if that thing is allowed to spring up, it defiles the whole person, all those around it. You know, the greatest cause of damage to a foundation is tree roots. When that root gets in there undetected and it springs up, something may be so small, but uh, we don't want to... Be negligent of the small things. The Bible says when you turn to the left or the right, there's a small voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So we want to pay attention. We want to be careful that we don't want those little things that maybe seem so insignificant to creep in. We want to guard our hearts. We're running toward heaven. We don't want anything to distract us. You know, the Bible also tells us if we aren't faithful in the small things, God can't entrust us with the bigger things. Luke 18.8, Jesus asks a question. He says, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? How is faith strengthened and developed? It's by being faithful in the small things, the everyday things. You know, sometimes small changes can have a positive impact. Sometimes I've heard of people who have maybe been struggling to gain spiritual ground. Maybe the Lord lays something on their heart. Maybe they just determined to pray a little more. Maybe they challenge themselves to uh, set aside something and spend time in prayer. Maybe just not big changes noticeably on the outside, but it has big results. Another example says, In 2004, UPS implemented a new policy to try to save money. 
Their engineers developed a software program that would plan their delivery driver's route to use as many right turns as possible. I wouldn't think that was a big deal, but there was a reason for this. They found out that 61% of accidents at intersections occur when a left turn is involved versus only 3% when turning right. Drivers will have less waiting time to turn right and will result in less fuel usage. And this would improve the efficiency of their ability to deliver packages. Well, they had results. It says they were able to plan their driver's routes with roughly 90% right turns. By repeating this small change with each delivery, a big change was achieved. In the first year, UPS saved 28.5 million miles driven, 3 million gallons of fuel, and 1,100 trucks. Just the reduction of fuel alone saved the company $9 million in one year. Some small changes, but it made a big difference. Well, you know, maybe if you're willing to make some small changes in your life, it'll make a big difference spiritually. You know, it's being faithful in the small things. Sometimes it may even take more faith to believe God for those little things than the big things. But I thought, you know... It takes faith to believe that if you will uh, challenge yourself to come to church on a weeknight, that the Lord will bless you for that. It may not seem like a big thing. Believe me, I know what it's like to work full time and to try to get the kids to church on a work night. You come, there's nothing left in the tank. It takes faith to believe that the Lord will bless your efforts. But God will. Maybe it's just a little change you need to make. Maybe... Being in the prayer room, maybe that's the small change. And I I realize there are those that are involved in other parts of the meetings that aren't able to do that, but avail yourself of the prayer room. may not seem like a big deal, but you know what? It may be the very thing that the Lord can prepare your heart to receive something special from the service. How about paying your tithe? That's a big thing. Many people may think, well, it's not really a big deal. Yes, it is. The Word of God says that uh, we're to pay our tithe unto the Lord. In Malachi, the Lord likened it to robbing God. We don't want to stand before God with the accusation that we somehow robbed the Lord. But it takes faith. You know what I know what it's like at the end of the month. You have more bills than you do months sometimes. We've, We've all been there. It takes faith to know that if you give the Lord what He requires first, that God will somehow... Bless you for that, but God will. God will help you and bless you if you're willing to do these things to honor the Lord. You know, if the Lord can't trust us with a dime out of a dollar, how's He going to trust us with the big things? So it's so important. We want to be faithful in the small things, but if we do, the Lord will bless us. The Lord will help us. You know, we what's required for being in the Lord's service, it's we must become small. The Bible, again, it says, except you be converted to be as little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't talking about being uh, children like in our maturity levels or anything like that, but in our faith, we must be like little children. Again, it's not ability, it's availability. Second Corinthians 8.12 says, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. The Lord won't ask us to give him something 
We can't give him, but what he asks us and requires of us, we want to give it to him willingly. The Lord will make up the difference. Someone also said our abilities plus God's abilities equals endless possibilities. The Lord can do big things with small things. You know, the Lord remembers our service to the Lord, no matter how small it may seem. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know, the Lord is looking for those who are just going to be faithful, faithful in the small things. The word of God tells us on that day of judgment, there's going to be two different groups. Those who will have tried to impress the Lord with a lot of big things. So there are those that will come to the Lord that day and say, Lord, Lord, uh, didn't we cast out devils and prophesy in your name and do all of these wonderful things? Lord, look what we've done. And it says, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. This wasn't even a backsider. This was somebody who had never been saved, trying to do all these big things for the Lord. They'd skip the very basic fundamental steps. You must be born again. That takes humility. That takes becoming small and broken in the Lord's sight. But we read of that other group. It says, in that day when we come before the Lord, we want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. God's looking for faithful servants this morning. Maybe you don't feel like you have anything offered the Lord. Give him your nothing. Give him your broken heart. The Lord says that's the very thing he's looking for. He won't despise that. A contrite heart. He won't turn away. Start there. Let the Lord work with you this morning. Let's come and seek the Lord. If the Lord is drawing something out of your heart, just give it to the Lord. God will make up the difference. The Lord will bless you today. Let's sing 573. Let's come and pray.